you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 43 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers for me, praying for my family and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We appreciate those prayers so, so much. Well, in episode 43, we delve into part two of my interview with BDK of Omega Frequency on 21st century Phariseeism. This challenging episode will explore the connection between the way discipleship is being approached by the modern American church and the traditions the church has developed in its relationship with earthly governments. If you want to find out more about BDK or contact him, please go visit his website at omegafrequency.com. And if you want to find out more about me and my ministries, uh, please check out philsbaker.com. And you can find everything there from my book, to my podcast, to music, to my blog, all that stuff. You can email me through that as well. So please check that out. I want to encourage y'all to uh, go over to iTunes or CD Baby or Amazon and um, and go check out my new EP, The Shadows EP. It's available per, for purchase there. Or you can uh, stream it on Spotify, however you choose to listen to it. Go check it out. Uh, I really appreciate would appreciate your help on that. And if it's uh, something that you like, please, please leave a rating on iTunes for me. That'd be awesome. Well, I want to tell you all about a podcast I really love called The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. She's got an interview coming up with another missionary from Mozambique, a girl named Allie. And uh, man, her testimony of forgiveness uh, after her father's brutal murder on a Christmas Eve is just incredible. It's just incredible. So y'all want to be on the lookout for that. That's Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. Again, uh, I wrote a book in 2016 called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And you can find it on my episode or you can go directly to Amazon and uh, purchase it there. You can either get a paperback or Kindle version. And if it's a blessing to you, please consider leaving a rating and review there. If you want to contact me, my email is emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. If you want to find out more about Justin Falls, Fourth Watch Radio Network, please go and visit him on his website, fourthwatchradio.com, and check out all the awesome stuff he's got going on there. They've got a great project in the works, and you're not going to want to miss that. Finally, the uh, anti-Nicene quotes that I use generally can be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, and you can purchase your copy for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website. All right, without any further ado, let's get into episode 43, 21st Century Phariseeism with BDK, part two.
Well, now we're jumping into part two. And I really like what you were saying about how we need to wait for the endowment of power from the Holy Spirit to be able to carry out God's mission, right? And there's very little waiting in American Christianity. Everything is programmed down to the second, you know? We have mm-hmm. to keep we have to keep stuff moving. We have to keep stuff entertaining. We can't have we can't we can't just stop and pray together. We can't um, have a prayer meeting on a Sunday morning because that's boring. You know, that's not going to appeal to outsiders. We can't wait for the Holy Spirit. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the feeling. That's the fear because we're trying to draw those crowds. We're trying to get those numbers, right? And so we don't want to do anything that's going to harm that, to keep that from, to do anything that's going to keep us from obtaining our objective. So when we're not spending time waiting on God's power, we're going to turn to different types of power to provide us um, protection and hope. And so do you think there's a connection, BDK, between the way discipleship is being approached and the traditions the church has developed in its relationship with early governments? Definitely. Um, Discipleship, right? Once again, we're taking it back to the Great Commission. Go ye, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded thee. The commission itself came from Jesus. And so because he gave the commission, we are only answerable to him. And he is responsible for empowering us to carry that commission out right? Hmm. But what we saw happen in the Pharisees, like their liberty was being approached upon. We, we talked about first and second Maccabees, how their religion was being stripped away from them and it sent them into a panic and they weren't allowed to read the Torah. They were forced to make these sacrifices, which were abominations to them. Um, they had that special relationship when Rome took over with Rome, right? Mm. If they played ball, if they did things, if they basically sought the protection of Rome, Pax Romana, they didn't have to pinch incense to the Caesar because they were already pledging their allegiance. Now, here's the thing. When we no longer take our commission from Jesus, then we are no longer asking him to empower us in the same way he empowered the early church. When we go to Caesar nowadays, Caesar being government, what we do is we do something called incorporating our churches, 501c3, right? We have made churches government corporations instead of cell groups of living bodies. We have incorporated with the government And the reason we do it most of the time is for purely selfish reasons, for reasons of peace, safeguarding, protection. We do it for protection of our funds, protection of our property. Um, Pastors do it for legal protection of not getting sued personally as pastors. 
And you may say, well, that's all well and good to have a tax-exempt status and to get a tax break for giving to the church. And it's good that our buildings are tax-free so that we can pour resources into them. And it's good that our pastors can't get sued. The only problem is, is now our commission comes not from God and man. We have made churches corporations and we have sought the hand of Caesar for protection. And here's the thing. God doesn't guarantee us in the Bible protection from hardship, right? Mm. He only guarantees us the power to endure hardship as good soldiers of Christ. Mm. Like it's like kind of like the thing that's going on in China right now. If you've been following that, they've been cracking down on anything that's not a three self-government church. Like you can have a, a, a building and a church and a Bible in China, as long as you're part of that three self movement, as long as, as long as you're approved by the government, as long as you have that sanction. But then the government gets to tell you what you can and cannot preach on. They get to tell you which passages you can read aloud. They tell you that you can't proselytize. They tell you that you can't ever speak out against the Chinese government. And basically it's a form of silence and the churches now that are saying, well, we don't want to be part of this three self-government church, they're being arrested, they're being beaten, they're being stripped, they're being detained, they're, they're having their buildings demolished, and they're going out and meeting in parks the very next Sunday. They come back beaten, they come back persecuted, and they say, we count this a joy so that we can suffer like Christ suffered. Now, that's being a disciple right? Mm. It's following Christ, even in his hardships, even in his turmoil. What Christ did on these three and a half years of his public ministry, he was always in conflict. People were always calling him out. They were calling him names. He was a man of sorrow and he died. His, his path led to a cross, but it also led to a glorious empowerment of a resurrection and the Holy Spirit being poured out. And that is what's so important in this hour. Because the gospel is universal. We say, well, we have to have 501c3s as a blessing here in America. It's protection, and we have to fight for our civil liberties, and we have to fight for all of the protections that we have. But the gospel should work in America the same way it works in China, the same way it works in Russia, the same way it works in the Polynesian islands. It should work everywhere. It's a universal thing. We are commissioned by God. We are protected by God, even if we have to endure hardships. And if we do that as good soldiers of Christ and we make discipleship again the priority instead of the traditions of man, I firmly believe that we would see the power of God again in our churches. Mm. But we would have to wait for God. Like what you said, like services, you have like your basic church that's growing has one to two to three services, and everything is planned out. It's like a radio show. You can't have a, a, a moment of dead air. You have to have everything timed down. You can only sing two to three songs, and that third one better be a chorus because, man, it can't have more than five verses, and your pastor has everything perfectly programmed out on PowerPoint, and he has a limited amount of time to make his appeal and then you have a couple of songs again, and then maybe a time of prayer for five or six minutes before everything resets. And this is all well and good if you're trying to drive numbers into your church, but the early church had a distinct advantage that they met in houses and cell groups 
in small groups scattered throughout the city under the leadership of deacons, apostles, and prophets, because in that small group setting, not only could they share with other groups what God was saying to them, but they had the opportunity to really pour through the things of scriptures themselves. They had the opportunity to sing as many hymns as they wanted to sing. They had the opportunity to, to have a meal with one another, to fellowship with one another, to take communion, to reaffirm their allegiance to God. And that's what's missing in this moment. This idea that if we truly want to be called disciples, if we truly want to be called sons of God, then we must be willing to be led by the Spirit. And that can be messy, and that can be drama-filled, and that could take time. And there's going to be a lot of silence and waiting on the Holy Spirit because he's drawing us into his presence. But in modern-day churches, we want to draw God into ours, right? We want a throne build. We want to play the music that invites Jesus in right? Mm. That's that's the terminology they use. We're enshrining Jesus in our praise. No, 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 no. You don't understand. Jesus wants to invite us in. And it's far deeper and it's far richer than anything that we would ever imagine. But instead, we need to invite Jesus in. Jesus is already in. He wants to invite us in. He wants to invite us into following him. He is still making that that call that he made to his disciples, follow me. All these years later, if we would be willing to hear and follow. Amen. Amen. Let, let me um, let me throw a little bit of a curveball at you. Is that okay? Uh, curveball, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I was as you were talking, I was I was thinking about this relationship between the church and the state, and there's a lot of like horrible things going on in our society, right? Horrible right. stuff like the the stuff in New York with abortion, you know, the, the fast, the fastly spreading movement of, of witchcraft and Satanism in our country, right? Like it's, it's infiltrated the media so heavily, right? And, uh, things like Netflix. I mean, there's so many shows promoting Satanism, um, as a good thing Got the show Lucifer, you know, um, so with all of this stuff in this junk in our culture, why is the, why do you think the tendency for the church is to be like hyper aggressive, more aggressive in, in voting, uh, and being political rather than having more and more aggressive prayer meetings? I think it has to do with aggressiveness. <laughs> um, and I know that's a cheap answer, but we're not a very aggressive people when it comes to being spiritually proactive, right? Hmm. Like we want to be entertained. We want to be, um, we want to be on the winning team. Let's put it that way. Okay. So let me give you two examples of this. There was once a, a very famous speaker who was going to be uh, giving a, a basically a, a, an update on the mission field. And so a church invited him in for a special service on a Friday night. And on that Friday night, 
he was to talk about the ministry that he was in, and then he was supposed to lead a prayer meeting for the rest of the night. And only 10 people showed up. And this was a big church that had thousands of members. Hmm. Now, the thing that unlocks the power of God and the power of the gospel is prayer. That's the first thing. There's other things that we have to do too, but nobody decided that that was a worthy endeavor to show up for. But let me ask you a question. Let's say that uh, Justin Bieber and Carl Lentz from Hillsong were coming to that church Packed of out. a thousand so people to share the testimony of what God is doing in Justin Bieber's life. Yeah. <laughs> and for Justin Bieber to sing a worship song, right. to sing Relentless Love. Right. Um, that church would be packed. And not only would that church be packed out with its thousands of members, but other churches would be trying to get into. Right. To see this. Now, they would want to see it because this is a testimony of God's power, right, in the earth. He took this fornicating, shot-taking, uh, wild-dancing youngster who was in trouble doing all these crazy shenanigans, and he won him to Jesus. And Phil, I hope to God Justin Bieber is truly saved. That would be amazing. But that's we, we love a good story of triumph. We want to be on the winning team. And this nation is divided up into winners and losers. And so it's much easier, and we have the best intentions at heart. We're like, you know what? Abortion is bad. It's very bad. We should have no abortions in America. I'm in agreement with that. But I'm in disagreement of how we achieve that goal. Because you can make abortion illegal. It's still going to go on. It's still going to go on. And not only is it going to go on, but the sin that right. set the abortion up, fornication, mm. the sins of the flesh, the imaginations of the heart have not changed. You can't legislate true change. The harder thing is going to places where people are sinning and preaching the truth in love. Right. To being a missionary to the preborn. I don't know if you've ever heard of missionaries to the preborn. But they're missionaries not to Africa, but they go to abortion clinics and they stand on the front lines and they witness the people going in. Hmm. That does a lot more than trying to vote because you can vote out abortion for this term. And if you get a Democratic president in the next term, it, he can repeal all that and do what he wants. Right. The only thing that changes the heart of people is Jesus hmm. and the power of the Holy Spirit and so we want this easier solution, and it comes from a good place, a desire to do good, but we've put the, 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 the horse before the cart, and instead of like going to those prayer meetings and praying against abortion and praying for revival so that people have a place to come, so that there's a great awakening again in America. Instead of doing the things that we used to do in America, the things that produced D.L. Moody's and all these other evangelists who went out and lit literally, you know, there were no need for police officers anymore. You know what I'm saying? Mm. There were no need for full-time jail associates because people were being saved and people who are saved don't want to do evil. But that was a lot of prayer. That was a lot of lonely anguish. That was a lot of these are the things we must do to follow Christ. That's a lot of revival in a church and repentance. And those are the hard things. 
that aren't as glitzy and glamorous as the Justin Bieber coming to your church or hearing a real world famous speaker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Does that make any sense? Is that curveballish answered enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But, you know, and I can sense some pushback from from some that may be like, but that's why we have to have these meetings. That's why we need to have like Justin Bieber here so that we can get people to hear the gospel. You know, that's why we need to have bigger buildings. That's why, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like the means just, or the ends justify the means kind of aspect. And that's how, you know, a lot of these things get justified. We need people to be giving at least 10% so that we can have a bigger building, so that we can have more room for people, so that more people get saved. Bada bing, bada boom, right? And, right, and we need we need to have the, the government also in place so that we have the protection to build our church bigger, so that we have the tax breaks to do it. And the problem is, like I said before in the last episode, was is that the lack of power that we're experiencing is a direct result of this. Can I throw a curveball at you? Yeah, man. All right, so I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to flip the script a little bit, right? <laughs> the trial I'm gonna, of Phil Baker. <laughs> I'm going to set it up like this, all right? And I and I'm talking still about government and the early church. Yeah. And um the difference of discipleship because discipleship means basically becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God, following Christ, not following this world, right? Right. And in reality, if you want to be, if you want to boil everything down and distill it into one idea, if you, if the Bible is to be believed, there are only two kingdoms on this world right now. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. There's the kingdom of Satan. There's the kingdom of God. Right. So with that in mind, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life or temporal things. He does that so that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier, right? So in our baptism, we become members of a rival kingdom, soldiers of a rival nation. That's actually one of the main themes of the gospel hmm. that is a new nation has now been inaugurated here on earth. This new nation has its own citizenship. It has its own politics and it has its own ruler. This nation in the Bible is called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And the danger is that this nation and the nations of this world that we live in are rivals. And according to Peter, we are not dual citizens. We are foreigners, strangers, and exiles. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God alone. And let me tell you, man, this belief got a lot of the early Christians killed because the message of Jesus was treason, and it still is. We've just forgotten our church history, or more than likely, we think we know better than the early church. So let me ask you a question, Phil. Yeah. In the first 300 years of church history— Baptism was a forsaking of allegiances to Caesar, his political system, and his ways. 
Therefore, would they baptize Caesar or any other political official who wore the purple or who had the power to send people into war? No, <laughs> unless they forsook those things. Unless and they why turned not? It, well, because that's allegiance with the kingdom of darkness. And this is on record. They put that on record that they would not do this. Yeah, absolutely. Hippolytus says that that flat out. Like they'd have to, uh, they had to give it up, like give up the purple robe, or they would be rejected for baptism. Okay. So would the early church baptize any president who held the title of commander in chief? Yeah. I mean, I can't see that happening because he has the power of putting people to death. Okay. So let's yeah. fast forward that to 2019. Trump goes into a mega church and says, I want to be baptized. Not only are the evangelicals dancing in the streets at this news, but they're posting the heck out of it on Facebook. That baptism is on CNN, MSNBC, and is shown around the clock on Fox. The church that's putting, that's baptizing Trump is putting that on their website. So it's the first thing that people see. But would the early church have baptized Trump while he was president? Yeah, I mean, there's not a chance unless he came as president saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm forsaking this. Like Tertullian, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, um, but said like the Caesars would have become Christians too if it were possible for Caesars to become Christians. They would not become Christians because they would not give up that power. And so if you're not going to give up the power of the purple, the power of the sword, um, the, an early Christian would not, they would not allow you to be baptized. Because like I said, because your allegiance is therefore with the kingdom of darkness. And, you know, some might push back and say there are three kingdoms, um, like the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdoms of the world. But then the Bible pushbacks against that by saying that Satan is the ruler of the kingdoms of this world in one right. sense, you know? So the kingdom of darkness reigns over the kingdoms of this world. Well, I guess that's the question too, man. I know a lot of people kind of got mad. Like did BDK really just say that, that if he was a pastor of a church, he wouldn't baptize Donald Trump. What the heck, man? Why would you withhold that from somebody I guess the real question that I have to ask you then, and you're a bigger um, history buff as it goes into the early church, I'm still wetting my feet in it, and I'm miles behind your knowledge. Why do we think that we know better than the early church when it comes to these matters? I mean, these people were trained by the apostles who were trained by Jesus. Why do we think that all of a sudden we would baptize Trump or that we should be engaged in politics when baptism is a forsaking of all political allegiance that's not the kingdom of God. Uh, I think there are a couple of answers to that, and there are probably a lot more, but at least two are coming into my small little head. Um, you know, one would be old wine. Zeke, what are you doing? <laughs> my heavy-footed dog over here is climbing up on stuff. Um, so like old wineskins. Uh, like we we all come to faith with 
with different presuppositions, different filters that we see the world by. And some of these filters could be um, the teachings of our parents, uh, pastors, Sunday school teachers, um, professors in seminary, uh, just our feelings, our, our fears, our anxieties, our loves, all these kinds of things, um, traumas that have happened to us. All these things are, are filters that affect the way we view the Word of God. And so I think some people... Um, really sincere people who don't know anything about the history of the church would say that's that's ridiculous. Every every president we've ever had has been a Christian. This is a Christian. You know, they would just go and there's a Christian nation, all that kind of stuff. Like, why would you want not want everybody to be saved? Of course, we want everybody to be saved, but they're just speaking out of their through their filters. But another reason is that the church has a long tradition of viewing the powers that be as their benefactors mm. rather than God being their their benefactor. And that goes that goes back to 313 with the Edict of Milan when Constantine um made Christianity legal and then began to really um like dangle the carrot in front of in front of the church, even though like Constantine is the high priest of Sol Invictus at the time, you know, the church starts getting in bed with him basically, because he's saying, I'm going to put some of you bishops on Rome's payroll. I'm going to use Rome's tax money, not only to pay these bishops, but I'm also going to use Rome's tax money to turn these pagan temples into Christian cathedrals. And now you're going to be safe. You're not going to be persecuted anymore as long as I'm there. And so, you know, there's a there was a shift, a major shift that began to happen then in the way the church viewed government. Um, you can see it in in Eusebius's writings, like they became enamored with uh, with Constantine, kind of viewing him as someone that was bringing in the millennial reign of Christ. Um, it was just incredible, this total shift that took place in Christendom then. And so I think today as well, we view uh, the state in a very similar way um, as our benefactors. As long as we have the right rulers in there, they their job is to help us live a Christian life. Their job is to provide for us. They are our gods on earth. They are our Antiochus Epiphanes. They are our God made manifest in one sense. You know, they protect us. They provide for us. And, um, and that's why there's so much flattery by the church towards certain politicians. Um, that's why there's so much brown nosing, um, by the church towards certain politicians. And um, that is idolatry. <laughs> Thanks, BDK. Wasn't planning no, on I, going <laughs> going there, and then I just did. That's okay, because I got one more question for you. Oh, to, lead us into our, to lead us into our next subject. I'm going to transition. I'm going to Pearl Kurt Lee. Yeah, let me just, uh, let me make my noose real quick, okay? <laughs> so... Here's the real question that I that I want to ask you, Van. Like, 
logically, if we're at war with Satan, the principalities and the powers, we're not at war with flesh and blood. We're to be like Jesus, bringing healing to those who are oppressed by Satan. Like we said at the beginning of this series of episodes, we're not here to bash on people or to bash on movement X, Y, or Z within the church. We're trying to spur us on to regain that holiness, that power, that revival again. And we need that desperately. If our calling as soldiers and ambassadors of a rival nation is not to entangle ourselves in the affairs of this life, because according to the Bible, there are only two kingdoms and they exist simultaneously side by side. Like we talked about before I'm with you, there's God's kingdom and there's Satan's kingdom. Even the kingdoms of this earth are under Satan's kingdom. So each one is warring or bidding for the allegiance of people. And I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. <sighs> Salvation and discipleship is so much more than just spiritual deliverance from personal sin. It includes rescue from the political forces and even the power structures, structures that have aligned with Satan, right? Hmm. So how can Satan cast out Satan? Isn't that what Jesus asked to the Pharisees on a couple of different occasions? Yeah. Could it be, Phil, that the reason we don't have the Holy Spirit power of the gospel to heal all those oppressed of the devil is because we still have a foot in this kingdom still, and we refuse to see it as black and white as a matter of divided allegiances? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that's the case. And kind of like we were talking about earlier, we can view it as almost like a necessary evil in one sense, because the ends justify the means, right? Right. So, yeah, man, I think I think that's that Machiavellian um, philosophy is alive and well in the church. And that's part of that Phariseeism too. It's that showy outward worship, right? Hmm. It's the it's the publican in the back of the temple crying and beating his breast saying, God have mercy on me. I'm a wicked sinner. Hell is too good for me. Is there any hope for me? And then you have the Pharisee who's standing up making all these proclamations that he is wonderfully blessed and that he's doing all of this and he's possessing a form of godliness, but he's denying the real power and we need that real power again, man.
by you, marked by you. 